0: Today, we discuss the frantic effort by pharmaceutical corporations to keep prescription drug prices and their profits sky high. As part of the proposed social spending budget, Congress is considering a measure to negotiate hundreds of billions of dollars of savings on prescriptions covered by Medicare. This would fund major expansions to Medicaid and Medicare services, but right-wing Democrats backed by Big Pharma are doing everything they can to block it. We need a new system. We need a new society. We need to demand that which may have sounded impossible even a few weeks ago, but is not only realizable, but an imperative necessity. Deepening unemployment, a looming wave of evictions, massive and widening inequality, there's no denying it. Capitalism is in crisis and capitalism is the crisis. We are happy to have again Professor Richard Wolff. He joins us every week in our regular weekly segment where we talk about the biggest stories related to the economy, the state of the working class, and the crimes of big business. I'm your host, Brian Becker. The Socialist Program brings you content three days a week thanks to the support of our patrons at patreon.com forward slash The Socialist Program. We appreciate all of your support and encourage you to become a patron today if you enjoy listening to this show. Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being The Sickness is the System When Capitalism Fails to Save Us from Pandemics or Itself. You can check out his work at rdwolf.com and that's r d w o l f f.com. Professor Wolf, welcome back.
1: Thank you, Brian. Glad to be here.
0: Well, thank you for joining us, Professor Wolf. This is a big week in Congress. I mean, maybe the Biden administration is at the crossroads, perhaps at the edge of the abyss. His entire legislative domestic legislative agenda pretty much hangs in the balance as conservative right-wing Democrats who are always called moderate in the mainstream media do everything they can to sort of make toothless or weaken far-reaching social and economic reforms, not far-reaching enough, but reforms that would actually make a palpable difference in the lives of millions of working families. I'm looking at this item that came in last week. Nine Democrats that would be enough to tip the balance, including Representative Scott Peters co-authored a letter with nine other conservatives arguing that reduced drug prices would hamper research and development of new medicines in the pharmaceutical industry. Now, by the way, Professor Wolf, you will not be shocked to learn that this particular congressperson, Scott Peters, is the largest recipient of pharmaceutical money in the last nine years, he's received almost $800,000. The industry's campaign contributions peaked in 2020 at $89 million, but this year it's already at $170 million. 61% of the money from Big Pharma goes to Democrats, but House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a Republican from California, was the industry's top recipient by a wide margin among House members in 2020. He received almost a half a million dollars in 2020. Poor Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House and the leader of the Democrats, she only received $151,000 in 2020. Anyway, the whole prospect of the Biden administration was to help pay for these far reaching economic reforms. You know, that includes Medicaid and Medicare expansion. It also includes making community college free for everyone. All of these were based on taking money from the already very, very wealthy in the form of new taxes, or in the case of pharma, big pharma, saving $600 billion simply by allowing the government to negotiate drug prices in a government-funded healthcare plan that would be Medicare and also Medicaid. Anyway, let's talk about, well, let's, first of all, Make a prediction, what's likely to happen, and just help the bigger audience understand what's going on.
1: Well, my guess is most of your audience knows already what's going on. Clever folks have said in the past that the United States has the best government money can buy, and we're watching the buying process. The pharmaceutical companies have an unbelievable deal in this country. They get more money from selling drugs at market prices than they can get in any other country. It is famously well known by those Americans who travel abroad that many of the exact same medicines containing the exact same ingredients are immeasurably cheaper overseas, or for that matter in Canada and Mexico. People who live near the border regularly go to Canada and Mexico to buy medications, both over-the-counter and prescription, because they are much cheaper. And one of the reasons they're cheaper, not the only one, but one of the reasons they're cheaper is that those countries force the pharmaceutical companies to make decent prices, to make prices that will give them the profits that they expect normally, but not the outsized profits that they have become used to. It's important for people in America to understand the drug companies operate a monopoly. That is, they get together, and not only amongst themselves, but together with the hospitals, the doctors, the device makers, and the medical insurance companies. To comprise together what should be called the medical industrial complex, because it is very like the military industrial complex. That is, those four industries, hospitals, doctors, medical insurers, and the device and drug makers, together support each other, help each other, endorse each other, contribute to the same politicians, To be able to charge more for medical care in the United States than the same care costs in other countries, and we're not even close. We spend something on the order of 18% of our GDP, our total output of goods and services, the total income we earn as a nation, 18% goes for medical care. No other country pays that amount of its income. For medical care. We are, to be blunt, ripped off regularly by the monopoly operated by the medical industrial complex. And they do that for the same reason that monopolies are always created, because you can make more money if you can control the market than if you can't. And so every business in its at least fantasy life hopes one day to be a big enough fish in whatever stream or pond they sell into as their product. They wanna be the only seller, that's strictly what monopoly means, or one of a few sellers that can, and I'll be polite here, coordinate their market strategies so we really can't find anybody who's willing to offer it cheaper. And so they make a bundle, and that's what you're seeing, and they're not about to let that be taken away, not by Mr. Biden, not by the Democrats, not by anybody. And so they fund, not only do they give money to the candidates, as you mentioned a few moments ago, they also give money to the political parties, both of them. And they also maintain armies of lobbyists, not just in Washington, but at every one of the 50 state capitals in the United States, to make sure that the representatives we elect do what they want. That's why we constantly see polls showing Americans want X, but the Congress keeps voting the opposite of X. That's not because anyone is unaware of what the public thinks, but the public is not what keeps you in office with big bucks. The public is not what helps you write the legislation. The public is not what helps you organize public media and public attention and public knowledge in a particular way you want to. For example, to tell you the preposterous nonsense that you have to overcharge people for their medication in order for research to be done. You know, the only proper response to the claims of that congressman who said that? is to say if you're going to hold the people of the United States hostage by saying unless you get your rip-off profits, you won't undertake research, the only appropriate answer to that is zap, you're nationalized, we're taking your industry away from you because that's no way to be a health care agency. You are not going to hold the public health hostage to making inordinate profits. We're not going to permit you to do that. And we're going to be more like other countries who do a very fine job of research, a very fine job of producing new medications without gouging their people the way you do. And we're going to be like them and not permit you to do that which accounts for why Americans pay more for health care. And lest anyone be in any way misdirected here, let me be crystal clear. We pay more for our health care, but we don't get more. We get less. The United States does not have the best health statistics in the world, not even close in a ranking done by the OECD of Advanced Industrial Countries. The last time I looked last year, we were ranked number 20, 20. That was 19 countries do a better job. And guess what? There are clear measures of this. Americans don't live as long as people elsewhere. Americans spend more days per year in medical care facilities than people elsewhere. The United States is more obese than people elsewhere. The United States, I could go on, couldn't die. And you all know this. Our results in terms of our health, mediocre at best. We pay more than everybody else, but we don't get healthier compared to everybody else. It's just a ripoff. It has nothing to do with anything we have to accept. That's why this money is being spent. Hundreds of millions of dollars, because what's at stake is billions of profits for the pharmaceutical companies. So it's well worth it for them. It's a good investment. Spend millions on the politicians if what you get is extra billions in your profit ledger at the end of the year. And that's what pharmaceuticals have always been about in the United States. Don't be fooled. They are not in the business of taking care of our health. Otherwise, they'd be in the forefront of admitting that the health in the United States is mediocre, while what we pay is the most in the world. They should be embarrassed. They should be ashamed of that result. Instead, they hide it. That's why people like me have to tell you all about it. They want you to think that you're paying more than anybody else, if even they admit it, because you're getting the research that otherwise they would not do for you. Wow. We don't need a private sector that treats us that way. Be much better to have the government do the research, run the care. They would make mistakes too, for sure. Government is not some kind of magic answer. But when the private sector treats you in the abusive way the pharmaceuticals do, then that's the least that ought to be thrown back at them.
0: One of the big issues right now, Richard, is the issue of vaccine hesitancy. And part of the problem is that people rightly and justifiably are skeptical about anything that comes from the pharmaceuticals. Because they only care about profit. They only care about super profits. People think, well, the science is baked. You know, even though it's quite clear now that vaccines are generally very safe and very effective in terms of preventing serious disease and death, there's a lot of understandable justification. I think we also have irresponsible forces, mainly coming from the right, but not exclusively from the right, who are telling people. Beware, don't take the vaccine, don't do the thing that would make you most safe. But then when you look at these pharmaceuticals acting like complete robber barons, I'm looking at Politico right now. Pfizer CEO rallies staff to fight Democrats' drug price negotiations. Pfizer CEO sent a video message to company employees urging them to fight proposed government drug price negotiations and expressing frustration with Congress. For trying to have a price reform to lower drug prices, and then you turn on the TV like anybody who's watching television at all, these commercials are everywhere. a guy says i 'm sixty two years old, I have cancer, I take pills all day long. If this bill goes through, research and development will slow, I might not have been you know still alive without these great pharmaceutical companies who risk so much in order to do medical research that may or may not pay off at the end of the day. So there's that part of the equation. I want to raise that. I want to raise a couple points to you and then let you just go at both of them. The second thing is that there is kind of a vaccine apartheid. I mean, in the UK, we have 65% of the people who are vaccinated. In the United States, it's 53%. It could be a lot higher if it wasn't for the promotion of vaccine hesitancy. But in Africa, it's only 3% one-third of all of the COVID cases in the world are in Latin America, where it was very, very hard to get COVID. 1.1 million children have lost a parent in the last 18 months, and a huge number of them are in Latin America. And then I was at a meeting in New York City last week where the new foreign minister from Venezuela was present because it was the UN General Assembly week. And somebody at the meeting said, we need to end this kind of patent monopolies. We need to make sure that the whole world can get access to the recipe for the vaccine so that the whole world can you know, take the vaccination. And the foreign minister got up and said, well, yeah, that would be great if the patent ended, but we would like to just be able to buy medicine, but we're not allowed because of the way uh, sanctions work. Anyway, there's vaccine apartheid, there's vaccine imperialism, there's vaccine hesitancy. Obviously, we need vaccines. They're safe and effective. And yet the companies that are making so much money and they have made so much money off of them look like just complete crooks and robber barons and thus a certain part of the population just won't trust them at all.
1: Yeah. I mean, the trust issue is becoming more and more important in the United States. The people don't trust the election process the way they once did. They don't trust the pharmaceuticals the way they once did. I could go on. But I think there's a very big story here that needs to be made explicit. This kind of massive turning away from trust in the major institutions of a society is usually a profound and prophetic sign that this society is coming to an end, that this particular way of organizing life has exhausted itself. It's no longer acceptable. Look, I noticed that you say, Brian, and you're quite right, that people don't trust the pharmaceuticals. They're right, given the history of the pharmaceuticals. Let's remember how many decades. We were told it was safe to smoke, even though the pharmaceutical companies could have and should have known and could have and should have told us that that was false. But they didn't any more than the cigarette companies did. Americans don't trust the government. When the CDC says put a mask on or don't put a mask on or do do this sense of a distrust, it's almost that we've come to the point that whatever the government says, millions of our citizens believe the opposite. That's how angry they are. That's how distrustful they are. For me, the great example of this is actually Britain. After the great crash of 2008 and 9, the austerity imposed by the capitalist class in England on the working class was horrific way worse than what was done in the United States. The British working class really was savage. Its real wages were depressed by 10 to 20 percent. Real damage to the working class, making them pay for the crash that they had nothing to do with creating. It made the British working class furious, and rightly so and angry at the politicians, and rightly so, and distrustful of the whole apparatus, and rightly so. So when some demagogue came along, and I'll pick an example, Boris Johnson, the current Prime Minister, came along and said, I can take advantage. I can make hay out of this distrust. I'll say, you know what the problem is? not. British capitalism, not the way we offload the problems of a capitalist crash onto the working class. Oh, no, 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 no. You know what the problem is, he says to the angry British? It's the Europeans on the other side of the English Channel, the French, the Germans, the Italians, the Spanish, all of that. They're the ones who brought all this terrible thing down on you. That makes as much sense as blaming the neighborhood dog for your marital problems. It's crazy, but you know, if you're upset enough, and you're desperate and angry and bitter, then you'll go wherever there's some way to relieve you, someone to blame. So the British working class voted for Brexit, voted to separate from Europe, and guess what? Did it solve their economic problems? Not in the slightest. British workers are in worse shape today than they were last year or five years ago. Brexit has been a disaster. And the parallel is here. An angry, justifiably angry working class is told, don't do what the government says. Don't wear a mask. Don't vaccinate. That's self-destructive, exactly like the British working class was when it voted for Brexit. Self-destructive, rather than understanding that your problems are justifiably making you angry, but you're way wrong in understanding what the problem is and where you should aim your upset. When Bernie Sanders, to his credit, went around the United States both in 2016 and 2020 talking about bringing down drug prices, when even Donald Trump understood he had to promise to do it, he had never the intention and certainly never the capability of getting it done. And Mr. Biden picked up what Bernie had pioneered and what Trump had faked, and he said it too. But the reason we don't already have it, the reason why politicians have to promise it, is because the vast amount of the American people, the vast majority, want it and need it but they are represented, and I say that in quotes, by people who have been captured by their donors and are doing what the donors want, not what the majority of the people want. And what we're watching is them doing the same thing again. But Mr. Biden, if he's listening, or his advisors might be, should worry, as I'm sure they do, about what I'm about to say. If you don't deliver, if you don't give people the sense that there actually could be from these Democrats some real relief for their problems, some real help in their lives, their anger and their bitterness will once again create the opportunity for Trump or a lookalike To ride that into the White House in 2024, the way Trump wrote it in 2016.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. I think that the Democrats' failure to enact far reaching economic and social reforms, the very reforms that they have proposed, by the world standards, they're very modest. By US standards, they're pretty significant. And they control the House, they control the Senate they control the White House, they control all branches of the government minus the Supreme Court, of course, but you know, they can do whatever they want. And if they fail to do it, I think their goose is definitely cooked. Of course, the Republicans will not offer the working class anything else, but that doesn't matter because they'll win. They'll win the House back or they'll win the House and the Senate back. And that'll be the end for Biden's efforts to promote anything. I mean, that when the, the Republicans are doing to Biden's program exactly what they did to Obama's. I mean, we can all remember that when Obama came in and said, look, there's 50 million people who are without health care, and we're going to adopt a plan that would give everybody health care, and 77% of the population supported single payer Medicare for all. Obama said, look, oh, no, that's off the table. That's off the table, precisely because he didn't want to anger the pharmaceuticals or precisely because he was hoping the Republicans, some of them would join him. And then the Tea Party came into existence. And for the next two years, Obama's basically Republican health care plan, where he privatized all health care, it did contribute to some advances, certainly, but it was all within the framework of private capital and the private insurance companies dominating all aspects of healthcare, The Tea Party said, well, that's communism and that's socialism. And the Democrats lost the House. So they had the House by a big margin then. They had the Senate by a pretty big margin. And Obama was very popular. But end of the day, all of that was squandered. And again, Richard, we're told, people who are progressives are told every two or four years, you have to vote for and rally behind the Democrats, because if you don't, the Republicans will get in. But now here, the Democrats have it all, and it's very likely that they will have either nothing or very little. The infrastructure plan, the so-called moderate plan, is basically just a big subsidy for corporations, and that's down to $500 billion. Anyway, I agree with you. Politically, this is a make-or-break moment for Biden and again, it's kind of shocking that it's all done in-house. There's no call on the masses of people, come to Washington, come out, demonstrate, do whatever you can do. There's no call to action by the people. They, it's always trying to sort of placate the right wing, placate the capitalists. And here, the pharmaceutical companies are acting like, well, they're acting like the way the mafia looks like. I mean, it's like a kind of organized crime. Anyway, go ahead.
1: Yeah, I think I'd like to pick up on one particular point you made, which I cannot overstress. The failure to mobilize the mass of people. The Democrats have the majority of people who want cheap medicine, who want lower prices for the drugs this system imposes on people. We are a more drug-taking population than any on earth because of the advertisements of those companies to rely on what they produce. The irony is that has taught the American people to be desperate about their medical care. If you want to mobilize a mass march on Washington, no issue would make that more successful. The labor movement, the socialist movement, the popular movements of all kinds, and across the board, a march like that in Washington would have millions of Republicans being supportive, marching or at least cheering from the sidelines. They want lower-priced medical care. Why not do that? Why not bring the mass of people in? It is something that could have translated into real power for Mr. Obama. He never did it. We've just gone through two crashes in the last 12 years, the 2008 one and now the 2021, massive unemployment, tens of millions of people thrown out of work, and not a single demonstration, not called by the Democratic Party, not called by the AFL-CIO to pull together all the people who would support a jobs program. What kind of jobs program? Well, the one we did so successfully back in the 1930s, the last time we had unemployment like this. The exclusion of the mass of people is only done to reassure the people who run this country that neither of the major parties is going to dare Bring into the political process the mass of people who might disrupt the comfortable back and forth between Republicans and Democrats. That is the reality of this situation and the lesson that needs to be learned.
0: Richard Wolf is the co-founder of the organization Democracy at Work and the author of many books, the latest being... The sickness is the system when capitalism fails to save us from pandemics or itself. Be sure to check out his work at rdwolf.com. That's r-d-w-o-l-f-f We'll be back tomorrow with The Real Story. You've been listening to The Socialist Program with Brian Becker, where we bring you news and views about the world for those who want to change it. If you enjoyed the show, subscribe on your favorite podcast app and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. We can only continue our work bringing you high-quality news, analysis, and history with the support of our listeners. Connect with us and become a patron at patreon.com slash the socialist program and receive an invitation to participate in an exclusive monthly seminar with Brian Becker.